Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at believing? Welcome all to the 34th episode of The Lovable Podcast. This week, we are going to talk about how one of the biggest problems in relationships is something very, very small. Specifically, we're going to talk about the small secrets we keep from our people and how telling some of those secrets can cultivate a sense of belonging very, very quickly. But first, let's make sure you've got a copy of my free ebook about marriage. It's called The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down. It argues that the most rebellious thing you can do in this world is getting married and living that marriage the way it is intended to be lived. To get it, go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com, that's drkellyflanagan.com, and sign up at the top of the right sidebar. You'll get the ebook right away and have an opportunity to sign up for my mailing list. If you do, each week you'll get one email on Wednesday mornings with a link to this podcast and to my every other week blog post. Um, when you do that, you'll also get a free sample of Lovable. Um, but of course, if you want more than just a sample of Lovable, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. It's available wherever books are sold in paperback, digital, and audio. And, uh, and that, that page has a bunch of links to a bunch of different places you can, can buy the book um, or pick it up at your local bookstore. Okay, I think that's all the news I've got for this week, so now on to this week's episode. This is a great discussion about secrets and confession and belonging, and it's not nearly as, as daunting as it sounds, I promise. Thanks for being brave enough to listen in. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 33 of the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, which is entitled, The Healing is in the Emptying. Today, we're going to talk about how to heal and enrich our places of belonging by confessing some of the very small secrets we keep. Before we get into this week's topic, though, let's check in. Last week, we focused on becoming students of the people we love, cultivating curiosity in them uh, rather than critiquing them. We talked about focusing on their words and demonstrating sincere curiosity about the, the meaning behind the words they use, not assuming we know, um, but showing a sincere sense of, uh, of wanting to learn how they think about the words that they're using. I'd love to hear about your forays into curiosity or any other experiences you want to share about this year of embracing your worthiness and embracing your people. And while you all are thinking about what you want to share, um, I thought I'd just sort of take a moment, tell you a brief story, and sort of reorient us to where we are in this progression from the months of listening where we embraced our worthiness um, to the months of loving where we're cultivating belonging. Um, this story occurred to me this week. It happened back in 1995. I was a freshman at the University of Illinois. Um, I'd been there on campus a few times because my girlfriend at the time had an older sister who who, uh, li who went to school there and was living there. And she lived at this place in the center of campus called the Newman Center. And, uh, um, and so I'd been to that specific spot on campus several times. 
And, uh, and so when I moved to campus myself freshman year, I realized that I could, I knew where everything was on campus, but only in relation to the Newman Center. And so I would go, go to the Newman Center and then go, okay, Lincoln Hall's down here, Bollinger Auditorium's in that direction. I know how to get to everything else now. And as I was thinking about that story this week, it sort of dawned on me that it's a really good metaphor for the importance of embracing our worthiness and remembering our true self before we enter into relationships. Because I think one of the things that we typically do in relationships is that we we sort of want to get to another person without going through our true self. Um, and, and we lose our true self in the process. We lose our center and our anchor. Um, and so our relationships become more a place of counterfeit belonging. You know, oh, you you feel that? Well, yeah, I, I can feel that too. Uh, or you, you think that? I, I can find a way to believe that. I, yeah, I can I can develop that opinion as well. Rather than going going to the Newman Center, right? Returning to our true self, saying, what do I think? What do I feel? What do I believe? Now how can I go out and find you and then belonging is not this counterfeit belonging, it's true belonging, um, but it entails sort of working through, well, I feel this thing, I believe this thing, and you feel and believe something totally different. Now we've got to work together in this place of belonging, work through the differences, work through the conflicts, um, and that's how we cultivate true belonging. Um, and so really this progression is about going to our center, going to our Newman Center, and, and being sure that from that place, we are doing our relating to other people, um, not taking shortcuts and getting lost on the way to them. So um, so that was just a story this week that to me felt like a good metaphor to sort of re-anchor where we are at. And we're only a few weeks away um, from transitioning out of these months of loving and into the months of living and shifting from talking about belonging to purpose. So it seems like a good time to sort of remember why we're doing what we're doing. Um, love to hear your thoughts um, about where you're at right now in this year. Stephanie writes, I'm a talker. I process out loud, but find that I can occupy a conversation without anyone else participating. I realize that this doesn't help me know my people better or make them feel like they belong. Now I use the word WAIT as an acronym, W-A-I-T. Why am I talking? I love that, Stephanie, because I think that um, we we live in a world now where, and this is a good thing, we all feel more permission than ever to have a voice and to speak up and to speak quickly, um, but there's a drawback to that, um, and what a beautiful idea that if we all just pause for a moment and said, why am I talking right now? What's the function of this? What is it? What purpose is it serving that we, I, we all might talk um, with more curiosity, with more gentleness, with more patience, more compassion, um, and we would certainly listen more. So I love that. Thank you. Deb F writes, yes, centering. I so often forget that part. Good tool to pass on today. Thanks. Yeah, like, um, to, you know, I guess it's another form of what Stephanie said, of asking, wait, why am I talking? Um, or um, another question might be, where am I speaking from? Um, Am I speaking from my false self? Um, is it an impulsive reaction intended to protect or elevate me or whatever? Or am I speaking from a sincere desire to connect, to be curious, um, to cultivate belonging in this space, um, to work through the complexities of two totally different human beings or even more than that? Um, yeah, why am I talking and where am I speaking from at this moment? Is it from my Newman Center <laughs> or is it from um, this distracted sort of defensive place. Marie writes, I had an attempt to clarify what my son was saying, but it didn't go well. 
In reflection, it was worth doing, but note to self, keep low expectations and extend grace to myself when the other person is unhappy and when I also react. I'll be going back for a redo later. Oh, that's beautiful, Marie, because number one, it's a sincere effort to show curiosity. Um, it is realistic. Um, it reminds us all that, you know, there's no easy fix here, that wading into cultivating belonging is messy, and it requires two people willing to sort of engage in the mess with grace, um, and that it does remind us that grace is necessary for ourselves and for the other in the messiness of that process. So, so good, Marie. I appreciate that. Thank you. Julia writes, this is clearing up my issue with a particular group of friends. At my core, I have a strong progressive Christian faith and I live in the Pacific Northwest. And many people I know assume if you are Christian, you are closed-minded and lack intelligence. I have a group of girlfriends that have been together since we were pregnant and our oldest are going into high school and I still feel judged by them on this issue and this issue only. In every other way, I belong to them. Two of them in particular have strong animosity toward organized religion. That's really, thank you for sharing that, Julia. Um, I really appreciate that. How quickly we vilify the outgroup, right? Um, people that we've decided we're not a part of and we don't want to be a part of. We just oversimplify and we sort of project any negativity that we see, we sort of we sort of insert into that outgroup and, and ask that outgroup to contain it and so we can write them off. And it's really hard to overcome that. Um, but what I'm hearing from you is that you have a place of belonging that is valuable enough to you that you want to work towards overcoming that, that gap. Um, and that in the process, um, you're going to learn about probably the hurts and wounds and fears and frustrations of your people. Um, and they're going to learn about the depth and complexity and beauty of your faith and probably be opened up to, to new things in that. So um, to me, that's that's the beauty of it. It's hard, it's messy, it hurts sometimes, um, but if you value the people enough to, to persist, some really beautiful things happen. Deb W writes, I can relate with you, Stephanie, about being a verbal processor, and I have found a lot of success lately with processing by myself in journaling. It gets the thoughts out of my head, not necessarily verbally, but just out, and I'm able to work through a lot on my own and have more to offer my people. Um, Deb, that's a, when you say that, I, I, I sort of realize, and this is probably something that we all need to, um, to, to be reminded of, that we're actually all verbal processors, um, that thoughts, memory, um, analysis uh, is all organized linguistically. Um, that without language, none of that exists. It's why you don't have memories of early life very often, um, because our memories really start getting stored once we develop language. So the question is, how do you verbally process the best? Because my wife and I, she'd say, I'm a verbal processor, and my husband, Kelly, is not. And I'd say, I'm a verbal processor. I verbally process all day at the computer. <laughs> um, but yeah, we each need to find the space, the person, the group of people, the medium uh, in which we verbally process uh, most effectively. And I love that you've found that um, with journaling. That's a way to do that for you. So good. Stephanie writes, Kelly, do you think it's really possible to not have any form of prejudice or judgment? And does this ever work in a favorable way? Um, boy, ask, uh, ask a dozen people, you'll get 12 different opinions about that. Um, what I would say is I think it's safest to assume that it's not possible to relinquish all of our prejudice. Because as soon as um, we say, 
um, yes, I've, I, I, I no longer carry prejudice. Um, that means we've just created opportunity for a ton of blind spots. Um, and, um, and so I, but I, what I, what I think I can say is that as our false self, um, as we gradually relinquish it, gradually step out of our ego, step from, out from behind our protective walls, our aggressive ways of um, defending and attacking others, our ways of arrogantly elevating ourselves above others, when we step out from behind all of that and uh, go out into the world um, as an embodied true self, um, our prejudice absolutely diminishes. Um, and so as, as we can increasingly live from that, that Newman center in us, um, then our, our prejudices will diminish. But I don't think it's possible for any human being to live from that center all the time, every moment. And so in my opinion, I don't, I don't think prejudices can be completely, they're always sitting there waiting in your false self for you to return to it and, uh, and start living from the false self again. And we all do that to some extent. Um, maybe there's a, there's a human being here, there, in, in history who has, has been able to live entirely from their true self, but I don't run into very many of them, <laughs> let's put it that way, and I certainly don't see one in the mirror. Shelley writes, um, Historically, I have always written my thoughts down before I vocalize them out loud, especially when I feel I have a lot at stake. I'm finding it getting easier not to always have a script. Being here has helped so much. You gave me permission to just be. I have only had a few along the way tell me I am enough as I am. Of course, the world always likes to tell us we need more, too. It is so healing not to buy into that sales pitch anymore and to be authentically ourselves without painting a picture that is not my true self. Yes, doing this and keeping secrets leads to depression and sickness. Feels scary to be true, but knowing you are here gives me courage to continue and not retreat. Oh, that's, I am so grateful that this place, this space, um, and the way that we're all engaging in it has been such a, an example and an encouragement to you. I think that that's the, uh, that's, that's something, I mean, the transition to this Facebook Live and to this podcasting was such a difficult transition for me because as a writer, you get to, you know, I think Donald Miller wrote that a, a book is, is like life shined to a deceptive gloss or something like that. You know, with writing, you get to just revise, and then when you finally feel like it's about as good as you can get it, you put it out there. And uh, and with this, it just has to be spontaneous. And so at first, I really scripted every episode and was like uh, very controlling about how I wanted it to go. And so it's been a it's been a process of embracing my worthiness all over again to go. Let's be spontaneous. Trust that what's inside of me is gonna have value for somebody, and some might not like it, but that's okay. Um, that's the challenge, isn't it? So I'm so glad that this is this space is helping you do that as well. All right, so as we are now, I mean, we are approaching the end of the months of belonging. I think we have maybe three or four weeks after this week of, um, of practices associated with cultivating belonging. So what I'm aware of is that we are getting into some pretty intense stuff um, because, we're, I mean, we're talking about approaching... Uh, practices within relationships that just reflects sort of the pinnacle of belonging um, and uh, and and they're, so they're super important um, but also complicated and hard so uh, anyhow I'm gonna um, we're gonna we're gonna transition into another one of those for this week and uh, before we do a quick story um, I don't know how many people who are listening right now um, watched or enjoyed the show lost um, but my wife and I very much did 
and we are rewatching the entire series with our kids. Um, I think it's appropriate for our 14-year-old. It's like a semi-parenting fail with our 10-year-old and probably a total parenting fail with our 8-year-old. Um, we skip some parts here and there. But the ironic thing is that our 8-year-old seems to be the one who gets it the most, like just intuitively gets the vibe of the show. And we were watching it here about a week ago, and she just, at one point, she just throws up her hands and looks at us with exasperation and says, nobody tells the truth on this island. <laughs> and I realized that that is really what the show is ultimately about. You know, there's a lot of, oh, what is this island? What does it mean? We, you know, you never really get answers to that. I'm not spoiling anything because there's nothing to spoil. You never really get very many answers to that. But what you do get is characters who have to learn how to be honest with themselves and be honest with others and quit running from their past and quit running from their secrets um, and start telling the truth, which I, I thought she just nailed it. And so ironically, here we are. It's week 33 of the year of listening, loving, and living. And it's a week about beginning to practice um, showing up in the most authentic way possible in our places of belonging by telling our secrets. Um, and I'm not talking about jumping into big secret telling. Um, that's, that's not podcast material. I'm talking about beginning to change our habits of the ways that we keep small secrets in, in relationships. So we're going we're gonna to focus in on that today. So here it is, week 33, the healing is in the emptying. I keep secrets from my wife. On an early autumn afternoon, the kids were released early from school due to a heat wave and old buildings with no air conditioning. While debriefing the shortened day, they mentioned that Mama had taken them to an ice cream shop the day before after the early dismissal. It seemed like a random comment, but I'm sure it was strategic. They know how to work me. Of course, I knew they didn't need the sugar two days in a row, and I knew we didn't need to spend the money. But who doesn't want to be the cool dad, especially when you're married to a woman who's always the cool mom? So we piled in the car. When we got home, I collected the empty ice cream cups and I buried them deep in the garbage. I actually did that. Rearranged some dirty paper towels over the top of them like I was six years old again, sneaking a spoonful of fudge swirl from the freezer at 6 a.m. However, when I was six, I didn't have three accomplices to spill the beans. When my wife got home and asked about her afternoon, I didn't mention the ice cream, but my partners in crime did, and I cringed. I cringed a little because I got caught but I cringed a little more because love isn't a place for secrets. It's a place for pouring them out. It is easy to live our closest relationships like we might get grounded at any moment. And instead of doing what it will take to stay in love, we mostly just try to stay out of trouble. Like the spouse who orders every NFL game on cable and then holds his breath, hoping his wife doesn't wonder why the networks are showing the Tennessee Titans for the third week in a row. Or the spouse who binges at the department store and then swipes the credit card bill from the mailbox, like a school kid beating her parents home to the report card in the mail. Or the friend who doesn't tell friend A that she went out for dinner with friend B for fear of upsetting friend A. Sure, these are small secrets, but small secrets multiply and grow. And as they say in AA, our secrets make us sick. The bills that are getting paid a little too late because there's too little money to pay them. The addiction we know is getting a little too addictive. The heart that is getting a little too hard and a little too cold. The resentment that is quietly building. Relationships can quickly become a garbage can in which we bury our secrets, like clandestine cups of ice cream. So I wish I'd lined those cups of ice cream right up on the counter. 
I wish when my wife arrived home, I'd said to her, we got ice cream today because when I found out you took the kids yesterday, it stirred up all of my insecurities. I think you're a really good parent, but I'm not so sure about myself. You're good at having fun and I'm good at getting frustrated by the mess the fun creates. You're good at being spontaneous and I'm good at worrying about what won't get done while we frolic. If you were my mom, I'd love being with you, but if I was my dad, I'm not so sure how I'd feel about me. So I tried to be fun and spontaneous, but to tell you the truth, I was mostly just trying to keep up with you. I wish I'd poured out my secrets all the way to the bottom. Yet, that's the nice thing about secrets. They don't go away on their own, and it's never too late to empty ourselves of them. It's never too late to tell each other not just what we've done, but also why we did it. It's never too late to make our actions known and our hearts seen. True intimacy is not the absence of privacy or the absence of boundaries or the absence of a separate self. In fact, we need to have our own spaces and limits and identity. True intimacy is the absence of secrets. True intimacy is what happens when the floor of our relationships is covered with our garbage because we are dumping it out and figuring out how to clean up the mess together. It may take a while and it may be gritty work, but we will find ourselves healing the whole time. Because it isn't what we've done or who we are that makes us sick. It's our hiding that does that. May we reveal ourselves, may our places of belonging be full of our garbage, and may we finally be emptied of the secrets that make us sick. Give you a second to digest that. <laughs> um, so that's the reading for this week. Um, to me, this is the most daunting topic we've discussed so far in this year of living, loving, and living. Um, did I just say living, loving? This year of listening, loving, and living. Um, so I want to boil the idea down to something that seems a little more manageable. Um, I think the ice cream, I you know, helps a little bit. Um, my wife and I have had this thing here, just just probably this year, 2018, where we just say no secrets and then we fess up. Um, and uh, there was, um, I guess it was probably about it was a, it was Memorial Day weekend. Um, I ordered a little Sonos speaker. Hear me, hear me justifying it a little. I ordered a little Sonos speaker because um, I wanted to have a speaker outdoors for our Memorial Day party. And uh, um, that's the sort of purchase that in our relationship, we you know, we make sure we, we check in with the other person and do you know, are we going to spend the money there? And I didn't, and I ordered it, and I thought it would arrive home on the Saturday. I thought it would arrive on the Saturday of Memorial Day weekend, and my wife would be there, and I'd show it to her, and that would be my confession, which is sort of like trying to, you know like a foot in the door technique anyways. But anyways, it arrived on Friday and I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is, I'm going to be in trouble. I, I put it in our closet. I put it in our closet and sort of tucked it away. Um, and I'm like, I can't do this. This, these, this is nuts. This is a small secret, but it's a secret. So uh, when she got home, I said, I confession secret. I ordered a Sona speaker and it arrived today and I hid it in our closet from you so you wouldn't see it. And we talked about it. Um, those are the kinds of secrets I'm talking about this week. Um, just the small ways that we sort of try to get what we want by avoiding the complexities of relationship and communication and conversation or the ways that we, we hide certain things that we do because we're afraid we're going to get in trouble. Um, the small secrets, we're going to try, try to tackle those this week. W writes, Woo, as always, a lot there to chew on and thankful for your vulnerability and honesty in revisiting that. And Heather writes, so much to think about here. Anne writes, wow, love this truth. True intimacy is the absence of secrets. And I go back to that, what we were talking about earlier um, today, this idea that true intimacy isn't the absence of a self. 
a different self, a conflicting self, one that doesn't always feel, think, believe what you feel, think, or believe, it's, um, it's the absence of secrets. It's true intimacy is this is who I authentically am and this is who you authentically are. And uh, let's, let's work through that together. Anne writes, thanks for sharing that you are just trying to keep up with your wife in parenting. Typically, we don't realize we are doing this. Oh, man. I think one thing, I think one thing that's helped me sort of begin to make peace with that is to realize that, um, that my wife and I are a whole as parents and my attention to detail, my concern for cleaning up the messes, my, um, my, okay, hold on, let's be thoughtful about this and not just spontaneous. It actually help. it actually gives her some of the space and freedom to be spontaneous and to have fun. Um, and so, um, those two things sort of work in concert and, um, I don't have to be the, I don't have to be the spontaneous parent. I don't have to be trying to keep up. Um, I have my role to play. Um, and, if I can do that joyfully and peacefully, knowing that it's enough, then um, then everyone ends up happy. The kids get a whole parental unit rather than two parents sort of competing to be the one that they love. Um, so yeah, it's that's helped me to think about it differently. Marie writes, I was accused by a former friend that I hid a lot of things. At that time, my false self came out and denied that. In all honesty, my false self couldn't see it, but now I am seeing that really it was all about shame and feeling attacked on an ongoing basis. Fast forwarding to now, being upfront with things that I want to hide is a newer practice, but it feels good to not be in hiding. Um, Marie, you just said it feels good to not be in hiding. You know, in AA, they say our secrets make us sick. I mean, I think when when you say it feels good, you're saying I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling the naturally healthy way that a true self is supposed to feel, um, not hidden, not suppressed, not buried. Uh, I'm not ashamed of it. I can just I can just show up. This is like this is what it's intended to be. Um, but we encounter shame. We build a false self. We start hiding it away. Um, and so yeah, it feels good. It feels unburdened, doesn't it? And that's a beautiful thing. Julia writes, so helpful. My husband and 14-year-old daughter are gone this whole week, and it's just me and my nine-year-old son. And I feel so free to be spontaneous. My husband hates when I change plans. <laughs> um, well, your husband and I probably have a lot in common, Julia. Um, I, I, I like structure and rules, and I like to know what's coming up. Um, and um, in fact, there's a, you know, a painting on the wall right here that my wife painted for me that sort of captures or both of us accepting this sort of dynamic we have. And it's, uh, it says, "You be the anchor that keeps my feet on the ground. I'll be the wings that keep your heart in the clouds." So your husband, who likes structure and um, and to know what to expect. He's the anchor, right? It keeps your feet on the ground and your spontaneity is the wings that keep his heart in the clouds. And the two of you, like belonging is when you go, oh, we, we both have a role to play here. And uh, everybody is better off because, because we're, we're different. Um, that we can learn how to work in concert with each other. And that's hard because, um, you know, it's it's easy to get out of sync. It's easy to stop trusting that that's true. And then you have to work through it all over again and be reminded of your belonging all over again. But I do think it's possible, Julia. Deb W writes, viewing parenting as a whole, so good. Imagine if both of you were spontaneous all the time, it would probably feel a bit hectic for your kids. 
yeah, that's, that, that's a great example. Or if like one of the things, I think one of the things that helped me come to awareness about that was that if we were both like me, um, the, my kids would have had a fraction of the experiences in life that they've had and they're better, healthier, richer, more well-developed people because of the breadth of experience that they've had. But if it was up to me, we'd do a staycation four times a year. <laughs> um, you know, instead this year we've been to, you know, we've been out east, we've been to Nashville, we've been, uh, we're going to go to Boston. Um, my, my wife, because of her sense of adventure and spontaneity, exposes to the, the kids to things that I never would. And that's a, that's a great thing for them. Um, so if that's true, that that's good, um, then it might also be true that my structure and sense of rule following in a way could also be good to anchor her. Um, and that's, uh, that's something that we want to strive for. So yeah, exactly. Two of the same often leads to an extreme that isn't good for anybody. Rihanna writes, I think we all can relate to ice cream, the ice cream incident and the way you took care to hide the evidence. Anything we withhold to another um, undermines relationships and points to something that is not healthy in our relationships. Typically in our hiding, we remove ourselves to be transparent, which is true connecting. That's right. Yeah, exactly. As soon as we start hiding, we are our, our false self or our true self is, is uh, going going away. And um, and so now true intimacy isn't possible. Um, and something that occurs to me now as we're talking is, and I think this is so true, I, I think of it all the time in the couples that I work with, when a secret comes out. I mean, if you had to dig right down, um, and and Louis C.K. said this, and I know he's not in vogue anymore, but he has a lot of wise things to say. And he said that kids lie not because for some Machiavelli, they don't have some sort of grand scheme web they're weaving or anything. He said kids lie because they're in more trouble than they can handle. Um, and I think oftentimes when we're, when we're keeping secrets in relationships, it's the little kid in us still um, who's going, um, I don't want to get in more trouble than I can handle. I don't want animosity. I don't want somebody to shame me again. I don't want somebody to be critical of me or punish me in any way. And so I'm just going to lie because it gets me out of that. Um, I'm going to hide because it gets me out of that. And, uh, and so we have to recognize that there's a little one in us probably that is doing most of the hiding and secret keeping. And uh, that we have to say, hey, hey, hey dude, um, we're adults now and I can, I can handle it. I can tell the truth here and we'll work through this and uh, you don't need to be so afraid. Um, it'll be okay. Marsha writes, I so appreciate this topic and how vulnerable it can be to be first honest with ourselves and then share that honesty with another. When I first started working with my therapist, I made a commitment to out all my secrets in ways that I hide, manipulate, or operate under the waterline. Oftentimes, without even realizing, I've crafted a whole way of being in hiding. Practicing that has made the biggest difference in my ability to love and accept myself, identify and communicate my needs, and create more intimacy in my other relationships. It's been amazing. It's one of the beauties to me of, of therapy, Marsha, is that it's that it's a safe enough space where you can actually practice um, that sort of commitment that you're talking about. And I'm sure your therapy went more quickly and more productively because you, you entered into it with that resolve. Whereas I think for a lot of us, when we go to therapy, it's like, I'm going to try to fix this problem without having to expose all of this. Um, and sometimes it can take months to start to feel safe enough to expose all of this. Um, and so you went into it, and, and it's a place to practice that so that we can then go, oh, I exposed it. Turns out I'm in this space, I'm still worthy. Why, why wouldn't I be worthy in any other space? People may not treat me as such if I unburden some of my secrets, but I am. 
the space told the truth about me. Um, I think that's one of the beauties of therapy. Stephanie writes, our secrets, our hiding makes us sick. Oh my, that hits home. I've kept them, been betrayed by them, and been part of them. They are ugly, even the small ones. After my husband's confession of infidelity, this allowed me to share my deepest secrets. And interestingly, they didn't seem so awful after receiving his news. Our counselor encouraged him and us to get to a place where we became repulsed by lies. Ooh, that's, that's a powerful phrase. Even the smallest half-truths, little white lies, all of it. That was a game changer. It is so much better to live in a place of having a pure heart. As my husband now says, there should be no holes in our calendars and thoughts. Being vulnerable and sharing even the smallest ugly thing about ourselves promotes a deep trust. And as you said, Kelly, intimacy. Into me, you see. Stephanie, I think there's so much valuable there that I, I could... I could just leave the comment alone and let let people take away the value from that comment. But I think the one piece that I would want to to comment on that I think you're you're highlighting, at least for me, is that um, secret keeping doesn't it rarely starts big. I mean, think about the. I mean, <laughs> my probably my other favorite television show, Breaking Bad. Right? Then that show beautifully illustrated how some mistakes and some secret keeping slowly builds. It, it rarely starts big. Um, and so what we wanna do is we wanna begin to, to make sure we're not keeping the small secrets. And if we're not keeping the small secrets, we will not get to the place where we're in a position to keep big secrets. So I think that's so important. And the way the two of you have reset there is, um, is powerful. Deb F writes, my secret for me, Kelly, is that I am not always such a nice person and that I do get angry at times. I am learning that my anger is at times appropriate and expressing it in an acceptable manner is okay and that people won't die if I do. I think that I am being perceived as being more real, but I struggle with being authentic in this. Such a work in progress. Um, Deb, really, really important comment. Um, and the way you say, people may not understand this, but you say that I worry that people will die. Um, that going back to this idea that it's the little kid in us that starts keeping secrets, right? We all started keeping secrets way back when. Um, and that sometimes that little kid kept secrets because the fear that telling the truth would risk a severing of the attachment, um, a sense of abandonment, that in a way the parent figures would be essentially annihilated, no longer present, no longer available for the child, almost in a way dead. Um, that's a very real fear for a kid. And so there's a lot on the line when a kid keeps a secret. Um, and it's important for our kids to, to learn like, yeah, no, you can tell your secret. I'm still here. Still love you. Um, you know, honesty is what counts. Um, that's so important. Uh, and to be relearning it at a, a later stage of life is difficult, but I admire your, your courage for doing that. Carrie Lynn writes, confession, last night I went for a massage. On purpose, I created a vague response to my husband as to when I would be home. I work a lot of hours a week. My husband jokes about that. I'm trying to avoid time with him. It's not that. I'm trying to take care of me. I know how to say the truth, to take care of myself, but sometimes I get so tired of justifying self-care to a person who is just learning about self-care at 58 years old. I like the idea of the no secrets confessions. Sessions with your wife. I know I won't always have the energy to stay open and honest in the moment. It takes tremendous mental energy to hold boundaries with some folks, but I definitely need to be open and honest to remain connected to my husband and to my heart. I will tell him, and I know we will grow from it. Thanks for the inspiration. Thanks for being so vulnerable. Wow, Carrie Lynn. Um, you are, I think, uh, you're an inspiration to all of us. Um, and uh, what a 
perfect example of the small secrets we keep, you know? And, and you're noticing that I, I kept that secret not because it would be devastating to the relationship, but just because I didn't want to have to go through the work of, of you know, conversing, justifying, having to explain why I'm doing it, um, why I'm taking a little longer than usual. Um, but that work in the long run, ideally what will happen is it will produce an understanding in the relationship so that at some point, believe it or not, at some point your husband who is learning will say to you, um, hey, you got a massage tonight, why don't you stay out an extra hour later? Um, that way you can actually settle into the massage and enjoy it and, uh, and not feel like you have to rush home. That can happen. But only if you're creating space for that initial conversation and dialogue. And, uh, and, and so our secrets will, once we tell them, will contribute to the relationship getting healthier and healthier. That's a great segue to Carrie Lynn, I think, into the, the topic for this week because you're essentially already thinking about practicing it. So I'm just going to jump right into the practice for this week and we'll, we'll go from there. Week 33 practice. Belonging can feel so elusive. We think it's something we must search for like buried treasure. But the truth is you don't just find belonging, you have to cultivate it. You have to water it and grow it and prune it, and only then do you get to harvest it. In other words, sometimes belonging is elusive not because the seed of it doesn't exist, but because we haven't fertilized it. Revelation is fertilizer for the cultivation of belonging. The quality of your belonging will be inversely correlated with the size of your secrets. The more secrets you harbor about who you are, what you've done, why you've done it, how you're wounded, and so on, the more difficult it will be to cultivate authentic connection and love. So this week, my challenge to you is this. Begin the emptying. Key word here, begin. Do not expect to empty yourself all at once. That kind of vulnerability isn't healthy or productive. Usually it's just an attempt to put the pain and discomfort of vulnerability behind us. Secrets must seep out slowly. So choose the person you trust most and start with your smallest secret, the really small ones. For instance, I don't stop all the way at stop signs, even in school zones, or I watch reruns of Full House all the time, or I keep a bag of potato chips in my nightstand. Then as you begin to feel the relief and healing that comes along with this, begin to share bigger stuff. Never be more vulnerable than you can handle, but always try to be just a little more vulnerable than you think you can handle. If all of this seems a little too risky, at least begin by not creating any new secrets. When you do something you would normally hide from someone you love, let them know. Explain that you want to cultivate the kind of belonging that heals, one spoken secret at a time. Practice this for one week and then continue practicing it for a lifetime. So I'm, as I'm reading that, I realized that as I went into this podcast episode today, um, I expected to get to this point of the episode talking about this exercise and really having to... Um, to try to take the sting out of it almost, but I've been so encouraged by your reception of this topic and of this reading um, and in this awareness of ways that we do keep secrets and ways that we can begin to not keep them. Um, and so I, um, oh, I'm really encouraged by all of you. Um, curious to hear any more thoughts you have about the exercise, what will be hard about it, what will be good about it. Um, I know that in reading it this time, the, the reaction I had, and there's a, there's a point in there where I caution you, you know, secrets seep out slowly. And I think there's truth to that, that if we're trying to rush past all the vulnerability and just get them all out, um, we have to be considerate of the person we're sharing our secrets with. And if that to them is too overwhelming, that's, um, that's something we have to be aware of, that we're trying to get through it for ourselves, but it might be too much for them. But I also do want to say, in addition, there will be some people that once you tell them a secret will go, 
I think I need to hear all of them. Like, can you tell me as tell me as much as you can? I I need to hear more, and uh, and so to engage in that is important too. So this is complicated, and um, and interested to hear your thoughts, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it next week. Stephanie writes, I appreciate that you said to be cautious of who we tell our secrets to. I have shared some stuff with people only to have that person say, I really wish you didn't tell me that. Now I have a different impression of you. That hurt. So Stephanie, as usual, you're just, you're pointing out something that was really needed to be said, which is if you had to summarize everything that we've said about why we keep secrets, um, I think, I think one way to summarize it would be I'm not sure my belonging can survive the telling of this secret. I'm not sure that the person will continue to see me as worthy, will continue to treat me as worthy, will even want to continue to be around me. Um, that's the fear at the heart of every secret that's kept. I'm not sure that my belonging can survive this secret. Um, and so we've been, we, we talked for a while in these months of loving, this months of cultivating belonging about sort of whittling down our circles of belonging um, and then we spent have spent a number of weeks talking about cultivating the belonging with the people who remain. And I think part of the reason I, I sense that this activity could be difficult, I think you're pointing it out, is that this is an activity that may lead to a whittling down again of our circles of belonging. Sort of a sense of like, oh, I thought I thought there was potential for deeper belonging there, and it turns out they didn't want to go there with me. And that's that's painful and that hurts and I've got some I've lost something here and I've got something to grieve, um, but again it's I think we have to ask ourselves um, you know if we have to ask ourselves um, how much of our true self that we are willing to suppress in order to sort of keep alive a kind of belonging that we um, that is unsatisfying to us. And it's that it's that sort of dance and that discernment that we're always always doing when it comes to belonging. Marsha writes, I so appreciate that counsel about going slowly with the sharing. I've rushed sharing my secrets before because it was so uncomfortable and I've actually created more pain suffering because I couldn't handle the sense of exposure I felt afterwards. It reminds me, Marsha, um, it reminds me, like I'll be working with like, you know, late adolescent or emerging adults who are really wanting to 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 find a companion, and they don't want to do the dating thing at all. They want to find the companion, and they want to get married, and they want it to be done. And one thing we talk about is you're trying to you're trying to take a detour around all of the all of the risk and fear and potential pain and disappointment and hurt of of cultivating belonging. Um, you're wanting to get right to the good stuff. And there's really no way to do that and end up at the good stuff. And so, um, so I think the same is true here. We want to sort of do an, a detour around all of the discomfort and uncertainty of sharing our secrets. And uh, and we we need to if we're going to enter into doing that, we need to be willing to go slowly and endure the uh, the uncertainty of it all. So thanks for thanks for reminding us of that. Julia writes, you give me hope. It so often seems like walking away from tough relationships is necessary, but you remind me that real belonging is not simple, but it is worth it. Yep. Um, and, and I don't, you know, there's, there's all sorts of space in our life for people who we can't tell all of our secrets to, you know? And so if you, if you kind of discern that, well, this is a person who I don't think we want to hear my secrets and that this is a person who, 
um, I wouldn't feel comfortable telling my secrets to. It's just giving you feedback. It's not saying that they can't be in your life anymore. It's just saying that they're they're probably not going to be in that that most inner circle of belonging. But there's still there's still all sorts of space around that for for the other people in our lives, and we can still value them for for that and and um, and add value to their life. So. Um, so yeah, so I think it clarifies some of that, but it doesn't necessarily need to be an either or too, which is good. Deb W writes, this practice is so timely for me. I have a friend who I'm seeing red flags in her relationship with someone who is not her husband, and I shy away with saying anything because I haven't shared my experience years ago with a similar struggle. Thank you for the push. Yeah, you're welcome, Deb. Um, I, I gotta tell you from personal and professional experience, having a friend in your life who's willing to say, there's there I have concerns about what I'm seeing happening here um, that's boy that's a that's a relationship saver um, it's helps people avoid causing a lot of damage in life um, at the very least it, it it gives that person a place to, to develop some clarity about what they're doing so um, she, your friend is lucky to have you Stephanie writes, with this feeling of rejection because someone wasn't in a place to receive my secrets, what would you suggest is a good way to relieve that ugly sensation? My deepest fear is rejection. I have realized, though, that some people are just not in a place themselves to go deeper, maybe because of their own fears, question mark. Well, you're answering your own question, first of all, Stephanie. Um, I'd add a couple things to it. Um, I'd say... There is no way to eliminate the fear of rejection, um, that if we have successfully eliminated the fear of rejection, it's not vulnerability. Um, it's authenticity, maybe, but not vulnerability. Um, and so I think that is, you know, that's the courage we show, is that it, it does potentially come with a risk of rejection. And then I would add that it comes with the opportunity to once again, as that shame creeps in, oh, you've been rejected and this means you're not good enough and there's something wrong with you, comes with the opportunity once again to listen for the voice of grace, which you have just articulated for us beautifully. And in this case, the voice of grace says, says this, um, some people aren't in a place for themselves to go deeper, maybe because of their own fears. Like, oh, okay, this isn't about my worth, uh, my worthiness or my my qualifications for belonging, they have their own fears and they're not ready to do that. And so I can have grace for myself and for them in this moment. I think that's the opportunity that, that presents itself to listen for that voice. So thank you for articulating it for, for all of us. Brenda writes, sometimes you can be keeping secrets to protect others and it will eventually make you just as sick as keeping your own. Oh, that's so true. Or it becomes your own and sometimes it stays that way too long. Yeah, keeping a secret for someone else can become a secret of your own, right? That you're a secret keeper on behalf of somebody. Um, either way, you're right. The sense of unhealthiness, hiddenness, um, protectiveness is, it grows just, just the same. Um, and yeah, I'm always cautious when someone says, you know... <laughs> outside of my professional role uh can i can i tell you something you promised not to tell anyone else it's like yikes you, i think you're just i think you're asking me to keep a secret from my wife <laughs> to begin with which means i've got relationship problems all of a sudden if we do that um so yeah i think it's i think we want to be cautious of that for sure thanks for thanks for pointing that out brenda all right, let's wrap up here for today. Next week, we were going to be focusing on how we can straighten out our priorities and relationships by constantly grieving the loss of them. Now, this may sound strange, but actually it can make your relationships thrive. We're going to talk more about that next week. It's week 34 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled, Let's Hold Each Other 
like we are dying. Until then, remember, you are lovable, and we'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. Cause you